Well, it's hard to believe that uh, it was only two months ago, January 26th to be exact, that Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and seven others were killed in this horrific helicopter crash in Calabasas. And it was a little more than a month ago, February 24th, that the world said goodbye to him at the Staples Center. And it now seems like such a distant memory. So much has happened in a month. The world has changed. When Kobe and his 13-year-old daughter were killed, it, it revealed something to us. It reminded us of how short life is. You know, whenever we're touched by some large scale or even some small scale event, it can show something to us about ourselves and about the world and even about God. For example, when I was diagnosed with lung cancer last year, it reminded me of what really matters in this life. You know, there are lessons to be learned from nearly everything that we go through, which begs the question, what can we learn from the coronavirus? What is it trying to teach us? What is the global pandemic revealing to us? Well, today I wanted to share a few thoughts with you on this subject. And so I hope you have a Bible with you. Maybe you can get something to write on and write with. And you can also open up our South Bay Community Church app. You can go to the Play Store and download it now. And there you can follow along and fill in the notes and and, and follow the scriptures uh, as you like. So do that. Let me um, open up our time in a word of prayer, and then I'll share with you what God is revealing to us through coronavirus. Well, Father, thank you so much uh, for the church. Lord, it is so great to connect with uh, this South Bay family. And Father, it, it really kind of hurts my heart that we can't all be together today. But I know that, Lord, you are with each and every one of us right where we're at. And I pray, Father, with all my heart that you would speak to each and every one of us. I pray that this message wouldn't be one which instills fear in us, but it would, would bring us encouragement and hope for the future. And that it would give us and, and you know, compel us to have faith in you. So, Father, thank you so much for our time together today. I ask that you would speak loudly to each and every one of our hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, 2020 was going to be a, a pretty exciting year for us here at the church. Uh, we were gearing up to send mission teams to Mexico, uh, to Japan, and to the Philippines. This would have been our first trip to the Philippines. And then we were planning to go to Israel again in November. And then for the very first time, our Ohana family ministry was coming together. They were going to have a summer retreat with all the kids, uh, probably hundreds of them. And we also had all of our youth uh, retreat sites already booked for the summer and into the end of the year. We have a baptism celebration coming up in April. In July, we were going to bring a group of Japanese pastors and their families out here to our church to train them and to encourage them. And then in September, we were going to put on our very first leadership conference featuring some top-tier leaders. We have the invites out to them now and hoping that they would respond and, and be a part of what we're doing here. And then, of course, we have Easter, and we were expecting our biggest Easter celebration we've ever had here. On a personal note, we were looking forward to attending a number of weddings this year. As a family, we were actually thinking about going on a cruise because my cousin works for one of the large cruise lines, and she can get us a huge discount, so we thought maybe we should go on a cruise. And then everything changed. Within a matter of weeks, everything changed, and all these plans that we had either had to be canceled or postponed or put on hold, at least for now. And so the 
coronavirus has revealed, first of all, that nothing is for sure, that life is full of uncertainties. And so if you're using our app, you can go there and write this one down. Coronavirus reveals how life is full of uncertainties. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And then in James chapter 4, verse 13, James wrote, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I mean, these two verses, although they were written more than a thousand years apart, are nearly identical. In Proverbs 27.1, King Solomon said, You do not know what a day may bring. And then James wrote, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. And they were absolutely right. I mean, think about this. In February, the U.S. economy was humming at breakneck speed. Uh, unemployment was at 3.6%. Wages were up. On February the 12th, the Dow hit an all-time high of 29,551 points. And then literally overnight, the bottom fell out. Here's a screenshot of what's been happening on Wall Street. And you can see the huge dip in the stock market. And suddenly, millions of people have been thrown out of work. COVID-19 then has reminded us that life is full of uncertainties. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. You know, the other day, I read that Prince Charles was uh, infected with the virus. Prince Albert of Monaco, infected with a virus. Today, I heard that the Prime Minister of England, Boris Johnson, was infected with a virus. So have a number of NBA players, NBA basketball players like Kevin Durant, a number of politicians and congressmen, celebrities like Tom Hanks, and locally a student at Palos Verdes High School and a student at El Camino College all have the virus. And again, once again, COVID-19 shows us that we are all the same. We are all equally vulnerable. You can write that one down in your, in your app. Uh, coronavirus reveals how we are all the same. We are all the same. We are all fragile. Psalm 78 verse 39 says, He remembered that we were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. We're all made out of flesh like a wind that blows and then doesn't return. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. I mean, we are all so fragile. We blow like the wind. You know, years ago, when I worked for one of the members of the county board of supervisors, I had the opportunity to visit and to tour the coroner's office. It was one of the most jarring experiences I've ever had to see hundreds of bodies in a refrigerated crypt, all of them unclothed and wrapped in a thick plastic bag. And there were babies and teenagers and young adults and old people. And among the hundreds of bodies that they were there, I'm certain that there were some people who were very, very rich and some people who were very, very poor. There were probably Republicans and Democrats and independents maybe some who graduated from Ivy League schools, some who were high school dropouts, but you would have never known that by simply looking at their naked bodies. 
The only way you could identify the bodies was by reading their toe tag. You see, at the end of the day, we were all the same. We're all vulnerable. We're all fragile. We're all the same. A few years ago, Pastor Greg and I did a series on the book of Revelation. It was a sobering and eye-opening series. And if you missed it, uh, and if you want to know what the book of Revelation has to say about the end times and the last days, I want to urge you to go to our YouTube channel, SBCC Live, and, and check it out. There are probably about 20 messages there on the book of Revelation. But one of the things we learned in our study is that 14 out of the 22 chapters in Revelation are devoted to the Great Tribulation period. 14 out of the 22 chapters when God will judge the earth for all those people who had rejected Him. And uh, it's going to be an absolutely horrendous time. And I want to just give you a few for instances of what will happen during the Great Tribulation period. According to Revelation chapter 6, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse will wipe out a quarter of the earth's population. That's over a billion people. He will do it through war and famine and pestilence and wild beasts, it says. Pestilence refers to disease. According to Revelation chapter 8, a great star will fall from heaven and it will contaminate all the waters and many people will die simply because they have nothing to drink. Revelation 16 tells us that the people of the earth will be struck with painful sores. And then in Revelation 13, it tells us about a leader who will rise to power and he will have authority over every tribe, every people, every, every tongue and every nation. Revelation 13, 7 says, an authority was given it over every tribe, people, and language and nation. And he will grant, this leader will grant to every man, woman, and child the ability to buy or sell anything, including toilet paper. Revelation 13, 16, and 17 is where we find that. And without his authorization, you can't buy or sell anything. You have to have his mark which indicates that you belong to Him. And if you belong to Him, you can sell and buy anything. You know, and these are truly astonishing claims made by the Bible. And I've always believed them. I've always believed what the Bible said about these things, that they're going to really happen. But But to be honest with you, I've never been able to picture it because I've never seen anything like it. But for the first time, For the first time, because of coronavirus, I can see it happening. I can see pestilence and how it can wipe out millions of people. I can picture people all over the globe becoming afflicted with painful sores all at the same time. I can see people starving to death and not having enough water to drink. I can see all these scenarios. I can see a scenario in which people would be willing to accept one man to lead the entire world. A man who would ensure that they would be able to buy and sell whatever they need. And because of coronavirus, for the first time, we're getting a glimpse into an apocalyptic future. Now, I just want to tell you, we're not living in the Great Tribulation period now. What we're, not, what we're going through right now is not the Great Tribulation period. The Great Tribulation will period, period will be 10 times worse than what we're going through right now. But it does reveal something to us. The coronavirus reveals to us that we can have confidence in God's Word. We can have confidence in what it says because everything that is written in the Bible will come true. It will come to pass because the Bible is true. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 28. 
says, And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. You see, God's word is true. And whatever it says will come to pass. Psalm 119 verse 151 says, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. You see, what the Bible says about Jesus is true. What the Bible says about how you can go to heaven is true. What the Bible says about the last days is true. And, and we can have confidence that all the promises of God will come to pass. Now, I want you to know that not all promises in the Bible have to do with the, the last days. For example, if you turn to Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous psalm in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you jump down to verse 4, one of my favorite verses, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I know that you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's an actual valley in Jerusalem that's known or referred to as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. You know, the old city of Jerusalem is bordered by two valleys, the Hinnom Valley, which goes from the south to the west, and then the Kidron Valley, which goes from the south to the, to the east. Now, if you were to exit, now, it, 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 we show this, we'll show this to you on the map here, but if you were to exit Via Della Rosa Street, through the Lion's Gate and walk a few, just a few minutes east, you'll find yourself in the Kidron Valley. And you'll immediately come upon a vast Jewish cemetery. In fact, the grave site actually begins, the cemetery actually begins right there at the edge of the wall of Jerusalem. And it continues on through the valley as far as the eye can see. And here are these two photos that gives you an idea of the, the scope and the magnitude of this cemetery. And then if you keep on walking, toward, the, toward the, the other valley, if you keep on walking, it intersects. The Kidron Valley actually intersects with the Hinnom Valley. And then you'll come to this undeveloped area. It looks just like this here. And the reason this part of the valley is bare is because historians tell us that this was the spot. This was the very spot where the kings of Judah would come and they would sacrifice children by fire to the Canaanite god Molech. And here's an illustration of Molech um, sacrificing children. Another interesting tidbit about this particular location where there is where there's no cemetery, no structures. Interesting tidbit about this location is that most of the day because of the configuration of the valley and the hill right next to it, it sits in the shadow. The valley sits in the shadow most of the day. And because of the atrocities that were committed here, and because it sits in the valley most of the day, this, this valley came to be known as the valley of the shadow of death. And when King David's son Absalom rebelled against uh, his father, David, had to flee from Absalom, and he fled through this valley. And that's why as he fled through this valley, he was able to reflect later on, and he wrote Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And David was spot on. Even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death with evil in hot pursuit, God was with him. God was with him. You see, God always sticks with his children. And today we can have confidence 
that what David said about the Lord God is true. That even when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. God is with you. So we can have confidence that what the Bible says is true, that what the Bible says is real. Now, today, this is our third online service since we started, since uh, the government actually banned gatherings of 10 or more people. And uh, I can't tell you the number of messages that we have received from people telling us how much they miss the church. Even though the church has been online, even though we're there with our messages and, and worship and our prayer meetings and life group meetings and youth gatherings, even though we're online, people are telling us constantly they miss the church. Well, what does that tell us about the church? Well, it tells us that the church isn't some spectator event. Church isn't something you watch on YouTube. Church consists of God's precious people in the flesh. You know, the Apostle Paul was frequently separated from the church because, because of his travels and oftentimes because he was, he was imprisoned for his faith. And here's what he said on one occasion to his disciple Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, he said to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And then he said this, and as I remember your tears, I long to see you. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You see, Timothy, what Timothy wanted more than anything else was to be with, what, what Paul wanted more than anything else, to be with Timothy. And, and he wrote something very similar to the church, the churches at Philippi. This is one of the churches he helped to, to start. In Philippians 1, verse 8, Paul wrote, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He, he was missing the church. He wanted to be with the church. And you see, sometimes I think separation uh, gives us a greater appreciation for the church. And that's, I think that's what, that was the case certainly for Paul. Separation made him appreciate and cherish the church. It made him long for the church. And I think... The coronavirus is doing the same thing. It's revealing to us how precious the church is. And I know that I feel that in my own heart, how much I miss each and every one of you. And so, um, you know, as imperfect as the church is, I believe that one of the reasons why we miss the church is because the church is the closest thing to heaven on earth. I mean, it really is. It's the closest thing to heaven on earth. And that's why we miss the church. And, and I've been dreaming with the other pastors. I've been dreaming about the day we can all meet back together again. And I can only imagine what a day it's going to be when we're able to open our doors and when we all come back together. I imagine there will be so many hugs and high fives and, and tears that no one will want to go home after we're done. So I can't imagine it. I can't hardly wait. So the church reveals to us, or coronavirus reveals to us how precious the church is. Well, finally, the coronavirus reveals how much we need Jesus. It reveals how much we need Jesus. You know, the truth is, no one knows for sure how long this thing is going to go on. Only God knows. God knows. But we have no idea, no matter what the scientists and the doctors say, we have no idea how long this is going to go on. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll uh, come to a quick conclusion here. Uh, maybe we'll turn the corner and they'll find a cure uh, for the coronavirus. And maybe they'll come up with a vaccine, which is what I hope will happen. And, and then it'll all go away. 
or this thing could drag on for months or maybe even for years and, and perhaps millions of people can become infected and die. Uh, we don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that one day, one day we're all going to die. And so the coronavirus is a wake-up call for, for the entire world. That we are, as I said, we are all living in uncertain times and we are all vulnerable. We are all the same. Second, here's what I know. I know that without a doubt that one day Jesus will come to take the church home to be with him in an event referred to as the rapture. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. I, I have no doubt about this. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You see, one day Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command and with the sound of a trumpet. And all the Christ followers who have died over all these many centuries, they will, they will leave their graves and they will meet the Lord in the air. And then all of us who are alive, if, if that happens to be us, if it happens during our lifetime, maybe it'll be us, we'll all be taken up as we're alive. We'll all be taken up to meet them in the air. And there we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Now the words caught up here in the Greek is the word harpazo. And it means to seize suddenly and decisively with force. To seize decisively and suddenly with force. And so what this is telling us is that the rapture is going to occur. We will someday, if it occurs in our lifetime, those, of, those who are dead will go first and those who are alive will suddenly be seized and taken up by force to be with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air. And they'll be with, then we will be with Him forever and ever and ever. And I want you to know, just as a side note, the great tribulation period will begin after the rapture occurs. And so those of us, those of you who are Christ followers, you have nothing to worry about. We will never live through the great tribulation period. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. But once the rapture occurs and all Christ followers are gone off the face of the earth, that's when the great tribulation will begin and the great judgment of God will begin. And so there's no doubt in my mind that the rapture will take place exactly it's, as it's described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The only question is, when will it happen? When will the rapture take place? Well, the answer is, we don't know. Only God knows. Only God knows. It, it might not be for a while, or it could happen at any time. It could happen at any time. All I know is this. Whenever the rapture happens, you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. And only those who are not Christ followers will be left behind. Let me close with this story. You know, when I was 19 years old, I had the opportunity to attend a, a presidential nominating convention of one of the political parties. I'm not going to tell you which one. It was held in the state of Florida. I was 19. I was actually able to get on a plane and go out there. And um, it was quite an experience. Now, in case you're wondering, it was not the nominating convention for Teddy Roosevelt. I'm not that old. Um, but on the night uh, of the nominee's acceptance speech, we celebrated into the night. And by the time I got back to my room, packed my bags, and went to sleep, it was around 4 a.m. The problem was I had to get up by 6 a.m. to catch our chartered flight back to Los Angeles. 
Well, six o'clock came and went. I slept right through the alarm. I finally woke up around 10 that morning. And when I looked up at the clock, I freaked out. I jumped out of bed, threw on some clothes, ran down to the lobby, hope, hoping against hope that someone would be waiting there for me, but they weren't. Everybody was gone and I was left behind. And I can't even begin to describe to you how I felt uh, the, the sense of gloom and despair was palpable. Well, obviously I got home eventually when I learned a big lesson along the way. And that is, you gotta always be prepared. You gotta always be prepared so that you're not left behind. And that's what I wanna say to you today. Be prepared so that you won't be left behind. And how can you be prepared for what's to come? The answer is simple. Get right with God. Just get right with God. I can't think of a better thing to do during a time like this than to get right with God. Whether this all works out, which is what I hope, or whether it all, whether it doesn't, now is the time to get right with God. You know, the Bible says that everyone who is born in the world is born a sinner. No one is born right with God. No one is born that way. Everyone is born a sinner. And sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities, another word for sin, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Furthermore, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. The word death here refers to spiritual death, not physical death. In other words, our sin will separate us from God forever. Spiritual death, it will separate us from God forever in a place called hell. But the good news is God sent his son Jesus to planet earth to take away our sins so that we don't have to be separated from God. Take a look at John 1:29. John the Baptist, it says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus came to take away the sin of the world so that we wouldn't have to die the spiritual death and be separated from, from God. And the only way Jesus could take away the sin of the world was by dying on a cross for our sins. And that's exactly what he did. And so 1 Peter 3, 18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He suffered on a cross. He was crucified. He never sinned, it says here, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Let me ask you something. Would you like for Jesus to take you safely home to God? Would you like to be made right with God today? Well, you can by simply believing in who Jesus was and what he did for you. You know, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Will you believe in Christ? I hope you will. You know, the coronavirus has shown us that there are, these are times of great uncertainty and we're all the same. We're all vulnerable. We're all fragile. And everything that the Bible says will come to pass, including the rapture, including the great tribulation. So believe in Christ today and follow him with your whole heart every day. And even if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Christ will be with you. 
And if you die, that won't be the end of you. He'll take you to glory, to heaven, to live with him forever. And if you happen to be alive when the rapture happens, you won't be left behind. So I hope you believe in Jesus. And if you do, no matter what happens tomorrow, you'll win. You'll win. You really will. Well, let's close our time in a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you would like to make things right with God, if you would like to get right with God today, and if you would like for Christ to take you safely home to God, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Because it is, again, by faith that we come to have eternal life. Will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I want to tell you today that I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus was your son. By faith, I believe that he was your son and that he died on a cross for my sins and he was raised from the dead. Today, I accept you into my life. I receive you into my life. I want to get right with you. I want you to take me into your presence. So help me from this day forward to live for you no matter what happens in the future. And if I go through hard times, even through the valley of the shadow of death, I can always know that you'll be with me. And if somehow one day when I die, how good it is to know that I'll go into your presence and live forever. And if I happen to be alive when the rapture happens, how good it is to know that I won't be left behind, but I'll be with you. So Father, today I give you my life. I believe in Jesus. Help me to be the person you want me to be. I hope that you prayed that prayer. And if you do, let us know, right, so that we can celebrate and rejoice with you that Christ has done a good work in your heart and you'll join us in heaven one day. Well, Father, thank you for our time together today. There's nothing like the church, but Lord, this is far from what we want to have for us. And we pray, Father, that you would do a work. God, we plead with you and beg you, God, to bring healing to those who are sick and that you would help those and protect those who are ministering to the, to the ones that are sick. I ask, God, that you would protect every single person in our church from getting this disease. And most of all, Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to get right with you. So regardless of what happens in the future, we can have a relationship with you and know our eternity is secure. And God, again, we ask you as we close, please bring an end, a closure to this coronavirus disease so, get, so that we can go on doing all the things that we love to do. So Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.